Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about our sponsor. The University of Dallas is a premier Catholic liberal arts institution, renowned for its rigorous core curriculum and thriving graduate programs. Careers in ministry, teaching, business, humanities, and science are formed here. With campuses in Texas and Rome, Italy, students begin their pursuit of a life well-lived. We have two alums of Dallas here at First Things on staff, and they are both superb. For more information on the University of Dallas, visit udallas.edu. That's udallas.edu. Elizabeth Bachman joins us today. She was an assistant editor here at First Things and now is at Encounter Books. She and two co-authors have a book on a most timely subject, just out with the title, Crypto Crackup, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, and SBF's Weird Island Empire. That's our topic today. Welcome, Ms. Bachman. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. All righty. Well, please let us know who your co-authors are. Let's give them, let's give them credit, but, but only, only 20 seconds each. Okay. We got a few seconds on Ash Bennington and Archer Orsinski, my wonderful co-authors, um, both of whom are far more expert in the field of crypto than I am. Um, and they both work at a crypto media company called Real Vision. Um, so, and, and they were they were up because this gets pretty technical, the, this world of crypt, crypto and finance. Your, your role, as I understand it, was a lot of the biographical background stuff about, about this, this uh, little fellow with the crazy hair. That's right. That's okay. right. Okay, and well, yes. I was going to say, at the end of the day, I think that um, that's the stuff that ends up being more interesting to the general um, readership. Because even crypto people don't really fully understand crypto, and there's so many scams within crypto, aside from FTX, and you know, however the trial turns out. Um, I think it's really the motivation of Sam Bankman-Fried as a person, and his upbringing, and his family, and how they're connected politically in ways that he is also connected politically. Those are the things that kind of really tie the story together and make it um, quite fascinating. And I think that's the reason that the trials are gripping, gripping the country and the world, in fact, right now. You know, your your story opens with a gripping moment. Uh, it's sort of an ending, uh, although a a provisional one. And we're moving we're moving into the trial now. But uh, here we have a world famous, super rich crypto or at one time super rich crypto entrepreneur in a filthy prison cell in in the Bahamas. Uh, and and in that in the book, you will tell us about how he got there. But let's go back well into his life. Uh, where was he born? Who were his parents? Yeah, so Sam Bankman-Fried um, was born in California. His parents were professors at law professors at Stanford. They were both law professors there. Um, so he grew up in an environment of, you know, sort of woke leftist intelligentsia, um, and in particular, a very utilitarian environment. So I spoke with one of his uh, his one of his parents' colleagues off the record, um, and he didn't really want to tell me much, understandably, because he's friends with the family. But the one thing he did tell me is that at least a third of all of the law professors at Stanford are pretty serious utilitarians. And so that really influenced Sam's thinking from the very beginning. So he's growing up in this atmosphere, these parents who are determinist, consequentialist, utilitarians, and... Um, he very early on 
um, starts to write and journal about his own ideas as a utilitarian, and he pretty quickly on also gets involved in a movement called effective altruism, which nobody had really heard of before Sam Bankman Freed and FTX collapsed and all this has ha had happened. Now it's um, kind of in the limelight, and I think it's facing a lot of scrutiny as it should be. Well, one one thing. Let me let me go back for a second. We'll we'll get into that, Elizabeth. But yeah. to go back to to his parents and the and the Stanford world. Actually, maybe was was he born at Stanford Hospital? Do you know, a, I actually think he was, but don't quote okay. me on that. I, I, okay. I didn't write that in the book, but I'm pretty sure that he he was. I read that somewhere. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you. I I, I was born. My brother and I were both born at, at Stanford Stanford Hospital. Uh, One too many things you have in common with Sammy. <laughs> there we go. But uh, about about the upbringing. Now, a lot of academics are rather retiring, uh, reclusive figures. But in your story, yeah. the 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 parents were lawyers. They were very active, almost running mm -hmm. a, a salon atmosphere, yeah. having people over people mm -hmm. people from different walks of life, lawyers, yeah. politics. Finance, right. finance people. And Sam was in the middle of that from, from an early age. That's right. They used to have, as I wrote in my book, they used to have um, every Sunday night they would have dinners um, where they would have people over and they would just talk about these ideas. Um, and both of his parents were, especially his father to start out and then later on his mother became more so, but very politically involved. So his dad um, wanted, he, he was a tax lawyer. That was his specialty. And he was very civic minded. He wanted to write this um, new tax system wherein um, the Federal Reserve would file most of your taxes for you and it would, you know, take people less time and less money. And this was sort of to help the common man. That was his idea. Um, and that's something that the parents both shared. They're very kind of altruistic. They cared about trying to make the world a better place according to their like sort of secular moralism. So I don't know how much it's really worth at the end of the day. Um, but they did take in, um, they, they took in a, a uh, the son of one of their colleagues, whose name was Matt Nass, and he, his dad died, and they sort of adopted him. He became their adopted son for several years. Um, and then his mom later on, this kind of doesn't, this kind of is starting to happen as Sam is rising, but she becomes the head of a very influential um, Democratic donor network. Um, the main purpose of which is just to get Democrats into office um, by hook or by crook. Um, and so he, not not only was he influenced by the utilitarian thinking, by the intelligentsia, the salon conversations that he was having with these professors every um, Sunday, but he was also influenced by the uh, the altruistic sort of bent of both of his parents, the civic-minded nature, um, and espe especially through a a, um, a political um, pathway. So to, to be altruistic through politics, not you know, not just to go out and feed the starving or, or uh, minister to the sick. Those two different things kind of merged together perfectly for him in effective altruism, which he discovered as a late teen, early 20s. I, I, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, just to give us a, a, a layout definition. But he didn't stay at Stanford. He went to MIT. Why not? Why not stick around the farm? You know, I don't know. I think uh, probably he wanted to escape mom and dad a little bit. Okay. But he ended up, I think the two schools that he was, no, I know for certain, the two schools he was picking between were Caltech and MIT. And he picked MIT, He um, made, where he majored in physics and, you know, was like a good student. He was very smart, but he said that he spent a lot of his time in college playing video games, but he got good grades because he was smart enough to kind of coast by. Um, 
And that's kind of a, a big part of his origin story. So he'd gra- he was graduating physics, didn't know what to do with his life. Um, and he ended up going to work at this proprietary trading stop, shop called Jane Street, which is a quant trading shop. And it's a huge player. They trade as of 2017, I think it was 17 trillion. Um, they were trading a year. Um, wow. Anyway, and so he goes on to work there. But he never would have gone to do that if he had not been influenced by effective altruism. And at Cambridge is where the effective altruism really began to materialize in, in his head. So, so, so give us the definition, the philosophy, the vision, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. So this is, this is incredibly important. It's hard to talk about Sam Bankman-Fried without talking about effective altruism. So to just give a broad brush um, definition of effective altruism... Basically, the the central mantra is um, to do the most good for the most people. Um, And that idea was born from a philosopher called William McCaskill, but it was very influenced by the writings of Peter Singer. Um, And it was but it was it was kind of coined as effective altruism in Oxford in the early 2000s by a guy named William McCaskill. And it took on many other iterations. But the basic tenet is to do the most good for the most people. And um, that is different from your average um, altruistic endeavor because they're incredibly, um, they're, they're very quant about it. So they want to measure um, however many hours you have in your life, uh, however much money you could possibly make, how can you allocate those funds in the most efficient and effective way to end up saving or helping the most lives um, that you possibly can. And so rather than, you know, sitting by the bed of a dying elderly person and consoling them, or rather than stacking peas in a food kitchen, a soup kitchen, they would suggest to their acolytes to go to Wall Street, make as much money as you possibly can in 20 years, and then allocate those funds to the most efficient charities. And therefore, instead of helping 100 people, you help 100,000 people. And they have their whole own list of charities um, that are approved, that are effective altruist approved, um, that spend their money efficiently. And an early um, prototype EA cause in the early 2000s was uh, mosquito bed nets because it, w- it was the perfect effective altruist cause because a bed net costs a couple of cents. And yet if you, you know, you get a thousand bed nets for like, I don't know, less than a hundred dollars, you send those to Africa and you're able to save a thousand lives from contracting malaria, which is like almost certainly going to mean death or at least a extre- an extremely miserable existence for the rest of your life. Um, and so um, that's like the epitome of a perfect effective altruist cause. So it's actually kind of crazy. Sam, when he was at MIT, he was a physics major. He was graduating, spent most, spending most of his time playing video games, and he didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, neither Sam nor Will McCaskill, the inventor of effective altruism, knew where this um, connection came from. But an email pops up in Sam Bankman-Fried's um, inbox, and it's from Will McCaskill. And he says, hey, you want to like meet up? I'm going to be in MIT giving a talk, and um, I'd like to meet you. Will McCaskill doesn't remember sending this email. He doesn't remember how Sam and him met, which is all very suspicious to me and kind of seems as if there might have been some intentional grooming going on. <laughs> um, but they meet up and that 
changes the course of Sam's life because he's thinking he's going to be a physics professor. His parents are professors. That makes sense to him. He doesn't know what he wants to do. But that's where William McCaskill pitches him on this idea of um, um, earning to give. So making as much money as he can in order to give as much money away. And he it makes the connections for Sam to Jane Street, the, the trading shop. He gets him in and sort of funnels him into this um, trading pathway where hopefully Sam is going to go out, make a lot of money for the cause, effective altruism, and then bring it back at the end. And that's how Sam ends up there. You actually say in the book that Jane Street was, quote, a dream work environment for Sam. What was that place like? Maybe what, what is it like if it's still going today? Yeah, so Jane Street, um, it's, it's, it's fairly secretive. And even though it's one of the larger trading shops on Wall Street, it's pretty important. It, is not, it was not very well known before um, Sam Bankman-Fried's story brought it out uh, into common conversation. But it was one of, it, it started in the 90s and it was kind of one of the earlier quant trading shops. So um, instead of hiring the classic profile from business school, it it was uh, they were hiring um, physics majors, math majors from places like MIT, Caltech, Stanford, um, and so the work environment resembled something more like a Google than a classic uh, trading shop that you would imagine. Um, and the perks were crazy, um, you know, in house like uh, doctor's office, therapy. Uh, state-of-the-art gymnasium, three meals a day on the house, but some of the, the, uh, the, the more quirky aspects were, um, because all these the people working there were mostly quants, they were really big into game theory and puzzles. So like, they had a puzzle hunt club. Um, they spent a lot of their time after work in the rec room playing chess and all of these kind of like quanty games. Um, and the other element to it, which is a common theme that comes up across Sam's life, is that it was really... Um, unstructured. So there wasn't a classic sense of hierarchy. It was more the type of environment where you were set free to explore and try and figure out algorithms to, you know, make your trading better. And you were giving, given a lot of leeway. There were a few managing officers, obviously, that you had to report to, but it was kind of more of like a, you know, hangout session. Everybody's just chilling. There's not a lot of hierarchy, a lot of freedom, and not very much oversight, which is a theme that 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 comes up a lot in Sam's life, um, and I think is one of the problems that he had ultimately with FTX. Ultimately, with FTX, that he really had no oversight and he was just running it like a big game, which is how he had always been able to operate, and it had always worked out pretty well for him because he's pretty smart, and it worked until it didn't. Um, so that environment at Jane Street, I think, um, probably stuck with him. Although ironically. <laughs> The aspect of Jane Street that didn't stick with him is that um, Jane Street had has one of the best risk management strategies in um, the business. That's something that they're known for. And it's part of the reason that they're highly secretive. Um, keeping a low pro profile helps them with that. And you'd think that Sam would have learned from that and um, implemented this incredible risk management strategy at FTX because he, I assume, would have been, you know, working working um, with and on that system when he was at Jane Street. But I guess he didn't learn that lesson. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, in the old-fashioned finance world, the, the financier uh, would like to present the image of great prudence 
and responsibility and patience, long-term, long-term thinking. I'm, I'm responsible for your money, and I'm going to be very, very careful with it so that the risk, risk is low uh, on, on of it. Sam is, is part of ESG, or I'm sorry, uh, not ESG. <laughs> Uh, effective another, altruism. Another bad acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is that sometimes not to take big risks, right? If big rewards are possible, actually is something of a moral error. Right. Right. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a, that's the other big um, important aspect of Sam's psychology that you have to understand. So he's a gamer. He's been an intense gamer since he was young. He's throughout his his rise and now his fall gaming has been his sort of like the thing that keeps him sane. And he has a gamer mentality for risk, not, not a trader mentality for risk. So his, his kind of um, mantra and, and the thing, the way that he would test his own decision-making would be to ask himself um, not to actually consider the worst possible outcome in case the high risk fails, but only to consider the best possible outcome in, ca- in case the high risk pays off. And the reason that he was kind of able to talk himself into um, using the strategy is because in his mind, since he's an effective altruist, all of the money that he's making, he's eventually going to give away. So if he had been making that money for himself, he said it would make more sense to, you know, have sort of a, a medium risk appetite um, because he wants to make sure at the end of the day, like, you know, he's got enough to survive on. But if he's giving away all of his money um, and he wants to do the most good for the most people, he figures it's better to make like a, just an insane amount of money and give it all away than to do just okay and give away a couple million because in the grand scheme of things, that that's not really going to change anything all that much. And so that's his thinking. So he's not thinking about this from the lens of a, a business owner um, who is taking care of his customers' investments. That's not his main priority. His main priority is his effective altruist um, allegiance and ultimately giving away that money. At least that's what he says. Then there's the whole argument that maybe all of that was a facade and we can get into that later and um, how his motivations sort of changed over time, which I, I do think that they did. Um, but from the from you know his early days when, when he's conceiving of um, the life he wants to live and how he wants to allocate the funds that he's making. He's thinking in terms of the money that he can give away, not in terms of keeping the investments of his customers safe. And that's why there was no there was no risk management at all. Basically, they were using, um, I think, QuickBooks, which is something for very small companies to use for all their accounting. There was no board of directors. There was briefly a board of directors, but it was essentially defunct after the first couple of months. And they had um, no communication with Sam. In fact, at, at, at some point in an interview, he was asked who his board of directors were, and he couldn't even name them. He didn't know who was on his board. So, yeah, you can tell that he's not. Uh, what's the big deal, man? I mean. Right, right. So, right. It's all uh, game well, now, he, 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 he leaves New England. He goes back to California. He, he doesn't go to Stanford. He goes to Berkeley. I don't know if that's significant or not. You, you, can, you can tell us. Uh, but uh, he, he gets into the crypto because he sees an opportunity. An unexploited realm with international trading, if only he can get around certain restrictions and regulations. Uh, what, what are some of the tactics? What were some of those regulations and what were some of the tactics that he, that he used to get around them? 
So it's actually a funny part of the story is that he's so he's working at Jane Street. He's making, you know, high um, six figure salary. And at that time, he's giving away half of his money to animal welfare, which is interesting. And it proves that he was at least partially sincere in his altruistic um, endeavors at the beginning. Um, and he, he decides to leave Jane Street because he doesn't think he's making enough money to make a, a huge difference. And so he quits Jane Street and goes to Berkeley. And the reason he goes to Berkeley is because he's, he um, gets a job briefly as the director of development at the Center for Effective Altruism in Berkeley. So that shows some commitment to the cause. Um, but while he's there, he meets a woman who most people have not heard about in this whole story, but who's actually pretty important. Her name is Tara McCauley, and she was the CEO of the, C of the Center for Effective Altruism in Berkeley. And um, she was getting interested in trading cryptocurrencies. Um, and within the EA community at that time, crypto was starting to become popular. A lot of people in effective altruism saw this as the future. This is this is the most efficient way to make the most amount of money possible. Um, and so she befriends Sam and together they actually found um, Alameda, which is uh, another trading company that comes before FTX, which is an exchange. Um, they found Alameda. So it wasn't even really Sam's idea to start out with which I think has been um, sort of covered up in this whole story. She kind of gets gives him the idea to get involved in this arbitrage trading. So essentially what that means is the Bitcoins are selling for a lot more money in um, Asian on the Asian markets than in the United States. And so Sam is buying them from one country and selling them to the other country and um, profiting on the, the markup between the two prices. And he makes um 20 million dollars on that in the first but wait elizabeth weren't there weren't there hindrances to doing that there were hindrances to doing that actually and that's an important point he had to um he had to jump over all sorts of red tape because the thing is exchanges existed but because cryptocurrency was growing so quickly um the exchanges that existed weren't scaling at the same rate that people were going on to trade on them and so all of these systems were really rickety at the time. He had problems. Um, he wasn't able to um, create a Japanese bank account. And that's where he ended up uh, doing most of his trading in Japan. He wasn't able to set up a Japanese bank account because he wasn't a Japanese resident. And then he wasn't able to send the money back and forth because he wasn't a Japanese resident. And then Japanese banks would only um, allow him to withdraw yen. They wouldn't they wouldn't do the currency exchange for him, so he had to do all the currency exchanges online. And online, you're only able to exchange $10,000 at a time, but he's doing these multi-million dollar trades. And so he's got all, his whole team all on their laptops sitting in the parking lot of the bank in Berkeley, all doing these uh, currency exchanges at the same time. And the website's slow and it's crashing. And this whole... Um, situation, you know, it has to, get, has to get done within the same day. You have to send, you have to receive and send back the money within the same day before the prices change. Otherwise you're not, you're going to, you're going to lose all the money that you've, you've taken out on the coins. And so, um, I mean, it, it, he has some great interviews where he talks about this and, and it is, it is a pretty crazy story and you have to admit he has moxie. He, he did figure it out, um, and was able to capitalize on, on the difference in prices and, and make a lot of money. Um, yeah. To start out, so you got to give him some credit for that. It wasn't easy. Well, you say that, that Alameda was known as, quote, calculating and smart, but with a colossal risk appetite. D did, that, did that appetite 
not make it hard for Sam to attract investors, partners, employees? Yeah, so this is another place that effective altruism comes into the story. So when he left Jane Street um, and then got the idea to start Alameda with these arbitrage trades, um, basically the entire thing was paid for by effective altruist money and the entire thing was staffed by effective altruists, people, supporters of effective altruism. Um, he had Caroline Ellison, Nishad Singh, and Gary Wang. And Caroline Ellison and Nishad Singh at least were devoted effective altruists and Gary, Gary Wang was perhaps less passionate about it, but he still ran in those circles. And so that was his original staff, all EA, and they all um, shared his vision of um, earning to give. So together, they sort of conceived of this as a, a long-term altruistic um, project. So on one hand, that EA staffed his company. On the other hand, he put in about 50000 of his own money, but all of the rest of the initial capital that he raised was from effective altruists. So one 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 of his early investors was Jan Tellin, who is uh, the Skype founder, and he is an intense effective altruist. He's you know all over like the Davos crowd talking about artificial intelligence and trying to make sure that the you know the robots don't take over the world. And all right, I'm canceling my Skype subscription right now. Yeah, yeah, we, we're we're oh we're not using Skype right now, so we're not servicing him. Um, I don't know who invented Riverside. Hopefully. You know, it could be one of these same people. But, <laughs> um, the situation kind of blew up. How did Sam alienate his his colleagues? Well, because Alameda actually was not really doing very well. And part of the reason that he started FTX, the exchange, was to um, help buoy up Alameda. And obviously, everybody knows now there's a connection between the two. They're trading on each other. It's essentially like, you know, the house playing poker on its own table. Um so he started FTX to buoy up Alameda, but Alameda was already, um, because of his colossal risk appetite, was already struggling. They were they were losing money. They were making mistakes on trades, losing multiple millions of dollars at a time. And this actually caused a huge, huge, huge rift in the company. And so Tara McCauley, the woman that he had founded Alameda with, ends up coming to him and confronting him with several employees who are fed up with Sam's like insatiable risk appetite and they feel that he's not being responsible and not running the company well. And they sit him down and they say, look, Sam, like if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to be a bit more careful about these trades, like we're going to walk out. And so Sam says, okay, whatever. Well, I don't care. Like walk out. What are you going to do? So it, actually, if you think about it, all of the people who, um, are cautious about risk, about half of the company, half of the initial 30 employees, walks out. And what does that leave? That leaves all the people that are um, really risk hungry, that are less likely to question Sam, that are more likely to just go along when he tells them, you know, this this is a risky trade, but it's worth it. And so because that happens, I think he ends up getting even more um, into even more trouble financially with the books of Alameda. Um, there's this great story of an investor that is interested in the company and he comes, hang, hangs out around Alameda's offices for a while and he's starting to get a little sketched out and he asks to see the books and Sam Bankman-Fried shows him a single Excel spreadsheet that constitutes all of the bookkeeping for Alameda. And it, it, like, it, it doesn't make any sense to this guy and he's, he's a professional venture capitalist. And he immediately pulls out because he's like, this is not a legit company. But he, of course, didn't say anything about it until after the fact. Um, it's a great Forbes article about it. But yeah, so Alameda was already in trouble. And that's part of the reason why 
Sam started FTX. And he didn't really get in trouble with the effect of altruists until much later on when um, FTX collapsed and now people are kind of questioning his motives because he didn't really give away all that much money at the end of the day. I think in, 20, in 2021, he was the least charitable on the uh, Fortune 500 list of billionaires. So that goes to show you. Hmm. Interesting. So I do want to ask you one more question because it's in the news very much uh, because of the trial going on. And I would recommend your book to people for precisely this kind of background, uh, that the news stories are not not going to get go, going back into the depth. I mean, even, you know, something like he loved video games when he was 12. So uh, last question, Elizabeth, what, what do you think is going to happen? Is Sam going to prison for a long time or is he going to get off scot-free and go hang out with his, uh, uh, his parents and their Democrat buddies? I think he's probably going to go to prison for a long time. You do. Because, because some people, some people have turned, right? Yeah. But I, I still think that, I mean, what he was able to say for himself, he testified this week. I mean, he basically just said, I just didn't know. I just didn't know what was going on. I think there's a good chance that he does go to prison. I don't think he's getting off. I think some of Caroline Ellis might get off. Um, Nishad Singh might get off. But I think Sam is at least going to prison for some period of time. Okay. We'll see what happens. But maybe I'm biased because I, I know. I know what I think about the case. <laughs> the book is Crypto Crack Up. Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, and SBF's Weird Island Empire. Ms. Bachman, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark.